Thanks, Steve. It's a real privilege um, for Liz and I to be here with you. I think it's my first time um, in what is now called River Church, and um, so we are thrilled that we managed to uh, get invited along to be with you. So thanks for having us. Uh, Steve just asked me if I would say uh, just a few things, because this is an opportunity, obviously, for this to happen, about New Ground. New Ground is what we describe as a, a family of churches, and a family of churches that has an apostolic uh, vision and calling that God has given to us. I, I believe that God places local churches into families of churches. And there's a lot of good reasons for that. But one is that you don't stay isolated. And so um, when you are in a family of churches, which happens through history and prophetic encouragement and Maybe you have similar values, but above all happens because of relationship. So that's why we call it a family, because it's about local churches being caught up in a family of churches who are on a mission together. And part of that mission is this what we call an apostolic calling, which basically means a mission to the ends of the world. And I think that's worked out two ways in a local church like River Church. Firstly, our responsibility as a family church is, is to catch you up in something bigger than yourself. This looks like a really good church. I've only been here for a few moments, but it, I don't know you, do I? But on the outside, it looks really good. And uh, no doubt you're going to grow and fill this place, and amazing things are going to happen. It's just great. But it's actually still quite small compared to what God is doing around the world today. And so we need to be constantly reminded that actually there's a bigger world, and there are nations to be reached with the gospel. And so one of the joys of being part of a family of churches is that family of churches is a provocation to you to keep on saying, come on, guys, come on, it's bigger, it's bigger. God's doing more and more things around southwest London and to the ends of the earth as well. So we need to try and help you to do that. The second thing, uh, being a family of churches, is, is that we want to help you to fulfill God's calling for you. You know, it says right in the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles that this gospel is to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And I'll leave it up to you to discern what your Jerusalem is and your Judea and your Samaria. But whatever it is, we want to come alongside you to make sure that you are fulfilling that mission that God has given to you. If you want to quantify it a little bit more, if you go on the New Ground website, you'll find there are four things that we have as strap lines. It's always good to have strap lines. And this is what ours is, is raising leaders, impacting communities, planting churches, and reaching nations. And those four things are the driving force behind everything that we do. We want to serve one another, raise up loads of leaders, make sure churches like River Church are really impacting with health, the community around you, and making a difference. Planting churches, that's a bit weird, isn't it? But maybe your church is going to plant other churches because we're all called to plant churches. Why do we plant churches? Because there are thousands and thousands of people who don't know Jesus. It's an unchurched generation all around us. And our calling is to reach them as well and to also reach the nations of the world. I'm encouraged by all those four things. I think they're happening more and more amongst us as this small family of churches begins to grow and develop. Actually... This week, I've just come back from holidays, like most of you probably, and uh, I, I've, I've just heard, even this week, that three new church plants have all been provided with brand new centers to meet in, like you were provided with this. 
And this has been a massive encouragement for us. So churches in Maastricht, which is in southern Holland, Paris, I think most of you know where that is, and, uh, and Delft, which is a big city in Holland. These are three churches being planted. And this Sunday, they're all starting to meet in brand new places, which is, well, I think it's exciting anyway, so it's great. One more thing I'll say, because I want to get to the Word of God, is that you can be part of a family of churches, but it's kind of hard to sometimes think, well, my life's so busy, I'm, I'm involved in so many things, even in the street where I live or the school where my kids go, how on earth can I connect to this thing, really? And it's not easy, I admit that. It's, it's, it's hard, you have to work it a bit, but it's worth it. And so what we try to do is provide areas of connection. So Steve just referred to it already. There's no better way to get caught up on a global mission than through prayer. So we've got this mad idea that on the 19th of September, Wednesday evening, most of the churches in New Ground across the nations are all going to pray together at the same time, and we're all going to link in. I'm just, I don't know if this is even going to work. I mean, I am not technological at all, but all the guys that are techo guys, you're bound to have some here. I hope you have. They're all going to work hard at this. And so you'll be in a prayer meeting on Wednesday night, the 19th, and suddenly guys in Berlin are going to come up on your screen, and guys in Geneva are going to come up on the screen, and guys in Scotland are going to come up on the screen, and somehow we're going to pray around all the nations, which is really exciting. And, and it catches you up in what God's doing. And then we put on other events. So in November this year, we're having a 20s and 30s conference called Connect. Is there anyone here today in their 20s? And th- up to 39, you can't go beyond that. Put your hand up so I can see you. So there's a whole load of you. You are welcome singles and marrieds with families, well, the families can't come, actually, so you have to have babysitters, to come to a conference in East Grinstead, and it's going to be amazing with hundreds of people seeking God, finding out about the mission God's called us to. And then next year, we have a thing called Ashburnham, and you are the first church that I have plugged this to, so I go around. So Ashburnham's happening the 23rd to 26th of August next year, bank holiday weekend, the title of the conference is going to be Empowered by the Spirit. So we really believe that the concentrated central thing is all of us, whatever stage of life we're at with the Holy Spirit, we all need to know more of his power in our lives. And so that's going to be the kind of theme of the weekend. Please come. This is a personal invitation for me. But we really would love, I, I just love it if a whole church can come to something like that. Obviously not everyone can come. But if we can manage to get as many there as possible and camp together, it's just a great atmosphere. And you'll be joining thousands of people together over that weekend. And again, it's another way of connecting with something wider than us. Now this is all very well and good to have vision and to have purpose and want to see these things happen and reach the ends of the world. But how on earth are we going to do that? We recognize that we're not alone, but we're just part of the body of Christ and thousands of other families of churches are doing this around the world. But how are we going to do what God's called us to do? And I want you to know this morning that we can't do it. If we had all the resources and all the gifting naturally, we couldn't do it. So what is my hope for how new ground could fulfill God's purposes. Well, actually, it's the same hope I've got as to how River Church can begin to grow and expand and reach this area. And it's the same belief that I have that you as an individual, even as we were hearing about the love of God this morning, you as an individual can be so affected by his love that you become a transformed person 
that God uses to transform the lives of other people. And if it's not me and it's not our resources, it has to be our whole dependency is that we have hope in a God who is present with us and has promised to give us everything we need to do what God calls us to do. He has never called you to do anything without the resources that he has to enable you to do it. He has not called this church to do anything without the power and authority that he has to make this church be able to do this. We're not, it's not our running around and scratching our heads and working harder that's going to do it. It's a dependency upon the one who spoke and learning how to get his life into us. What I would like to talk for the next few moments for you as a community, and this is kind of like 2nd of September, people are coming back. I know Steve's going to speak next week on something about vision or something for the future. It, every church in the UK is doing this right now. <laughs> Welcome back. Start of a new term. Get your uniforms. No, it's, like, it's, kind of, it's kind of like the whole thing is, come on, start, let's go for it. <clears throat> I would like to this morning to speak for a few moments on the title, How to Be a People of Hope. And I want to talk about hope. I want to talk about you as an individual and you as a church, how you can really have hope for what God is going to do amongst you. And I've entitled this How to Be a People of Hope because I think the word hope is an absolutely key and vital issue for us today. God is calling River Church to be a, a company of people flooded with hope. And the reason is this, we live in a world without hope. <clears throat> and one of the reasons we are here is to share with the majority of people around us, you know, there really is hope. And so at the beginning of this new term, this new season for River Church, I would like to just add my little penny's worth and say, you can have hope. You can have hope for yourself and your family. You can have hope for hopeless situations that some of you are facing right now. And you as a church community can absolutely be flooded with hope that whatever God has promised and whatever he said to you, he is able to cause this to pass. Well-known verse in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13, oft read at weddings all about the love of God. And it says this, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. <clears throat> but the greatest of these is love, which means that you should hear lots of sermons about love, God's love, our love for one another. I hope it means that you also hear lots of sermons about faith. So obviously, these three things are really important, and the greatest is love, and you're going to hear sermons on faith, but can I just bring our little friend in as well, coming in, in the charts at number three? <laughs> hope. And it's a weird thing. You hear sermons rightly on love and faith, but not always do we hear a lot of words about hope. I'm of the personal conviction that hope is a massive deal for the nation in which we live and for the lives that we live in this nation. I want to quote to you an outstanding quote by a guy called John Ortberg about hope, and it says, he says this. I hope it's going to come up behind me so you can all see it. Okay. It says this. Hope is the fuel 
that the human heart runs on. A car crash or a diving accident can paralyze a body, but the death of hope paralyzes the spirit. We can survive the loss of an extraordinary number of things, but no one can live without hope. When it's gone, we are done. Now, just keep that up for a minute. Just, that is an amazing statement. And I literally know people who have had diving accidents and have ended up paralyzed. And people that have gone through terrible, terrible difficulties in their lives. And their bodies may not be able to function and things are really bad. But if hope goes, then it's almost like that's the end of everything. Your body's still there. You're still physically there. But everything else inside of you dies. Now, this is, you've just got to believe me that this is a big deal for the day in which we live. When I hear in this country that the biggest cause of death between guys in 16 to 24 is suicide, and I think, that's terrible, how can that be? I think that's the answer. They have no hope. And last week we've just heard that, which I'm still trying to struggle, I'm struggling with this one, but apparently it's that one in four girls of the age of 14 in this country now self-harm. Why are they doing that? How come social media and everything is driving a 14-year-old girl at the beginning of her life to despair so much that she wants to end her life if possible? At least make a statement of that. It's because they don't have hope. There's no hope in their lives. This is the only way that you can understand these things. This is not God's will for human beings. This is not God's will for you as a child of God. His will for you is to be flooded and filled with hope. Now turn with me into Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. It'll come up on the screen, but if you've got a Bible, just open it. It's only one verse, it won't kill you. And uh, just keep it open while we're talking, because we're going to come back and forth to this. Paul says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. There's just two points I want to get out this morning from that passage. The first is this. We serve the God of hope, not just a hopeful God. I really want you to grasp that this morning. He is known as... See, we, the, how do we know what God is? Because of the way he reveals himself. So in our worship... God is the God of love. Well, how on earth do you know that? That's the revelation he's given. The same is true of hope. He is the God of hope. But not hopeful like, I hope River Church will make it in the end, but I'm not so sure whether they will or not. Not hopeful that maybe she will do it, maybe she won't. We'll see how it goes. I'm afraid these phrases summarise how I often operate in hope. I hope it'll work. I hope it will get there. I hope one day West Ham will actually get a point in the Premier League. But I'm not so sure that's going to happen. In miracles. And so all these things go on around your life and you think, well, what is hope? Well, it's being hopeful. No, 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 no. That's not what this verse says. You and I have come into relationship with the God of hope. There was a phrase going around a few years back. I don't hear it much at the moment, which I'm very glad for, and it was like, God is never in a bad mood. It's a bit weird to have a sentence with the word God and mood in the same sentence. 
So I never liked it when it came out. I knew what people were trying to say. But the reality is God's not moody. Hope is not even an attribute of God. You know, like some mornings he's more hopeful than others because it's an attribute that comes out of him. The reality is that we worship the God of hope. It's his very nature. It's his very essence. He's unchanging. It's who he is. It is impossible for God not to be hope. And therefore, our hope begins and ends in him. Our hope is not in our circumstances. Our hope is not in our feelings. Our hope is not in one another. And fundamentally, our hope is definitely not in ourselves. Our hope comes from being in him, the God of hope. Now, it says about Abraham in Romans chapter 4 and verse 18, when he'd been promised a child and it wasn't happening, it says, in hope, Abraham believed against hope that he would receive the he become the father of many nations as he'd been told, so shall your offspring be. What does that mean? It means that there was no hope that he and Sarah would have a child. So they weren't hopeful even. It was impossible. <clears throat> but how did it happen? Because he came to believe in the God of hope. He was flooded with hope, became a man of faith, and then things came down. So listen, just bear with me. This is a big deal, this issue of hope. It's massive. So throughout Scripture, you'll find references again and again. Let's have a little quick sample of this. Psalm 39, verse 7. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Some of you this morning are waiting for something to happen. And you're looking into yourself or other people to find the answers. Please, can I encourage you, while you're waiting, put your hope in God. Psalm 42, 5. This is a big one. Well, it is for me anyway. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Do you ever get downcast within yourself? The psalmist says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 71, verse 5. For you, O Lord, are my hope and my trust. O Lord, from my youth. And I love that phrase, because my youth is a long time ago now. But what that says is every season of life, young, middle-aged, old, God remains the God of hope. It never diminishes. You can always take him at his word. And then in Psalm 71, verse 14 also, David, who's surrounded by people mocking him and scorning him, says, but I will hope continually and praise you yet more and more. Just to prove how big, lamp, uh, ha prove how big hope is in the word of God and in our lives, I'm going to quote for you from Lamentations. Now, Lamentations, the very name of the book, gives you a hint. <laughs> Some of you get that. Lamentations. I mean, woe and despair, and it's all kind of heavy. Bang in the middle of it, Lamentations 3, verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And I think, well, what gives you hope? What do you call to mind? He goes on to say, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, <clears throat> says my soul. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. So the first point is that you and I have the privilege of knowing 
the God of hope. There is never a morning when you wake up where God has changed his mind. He is flooded with hope. Here's the second thing out of Romans 15, 13, because it finishes that verse, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may, you, not God, you may abound in hope. If God is hope, surely we, his people, therefore are to be a people of hope and not just a hopeful people. Did you hear that? In other words, what he is is paralleled through our lives. If he's not if he's not a moody person that sometimes hopes and sometimes doesn't, and we are his people, then surely we are a reflection of him, which means we're to be like that as well. Abounding in hope, always flooded with hope, no matter what's going on around us, the ability to actually be a people of hope rather than just hopeful is a living reality. So the next few moments I want to unpackage how do we become a people of hope? And I'm going to give you four answers, make it as practical as I can. The first is this, surely, if we learn to live in him, then he will live in us. But here's the deal, that is not automatic. It's a choice. It's a daily choice, a weekly choice, a monthly and an annual choice. The choice is, if I live in him, he will live in me. In other words, if I live in the God of hope, the God of hope will live in me, <clears throat> that's what floods me with hope. And if I'm in a church of 120 people, and we're all living like that, guess what? We become a community of hope. It's not rocket science to work out how this happens. If you never come to Ashburnham, you're really it's sad and you'll really miss out, but you still be a people of hope. <laughs> that's, that's not going to do it. Going to a conference, da-da-da-da-da, is not going to do it. What's going to do it is you and I living daily choosing to live in this God of hope. It's fascinating, isn't it, that, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but in John 15, when Jesus talks about, many of you know this passage, I am the vine, you are the branches, and goes on to say, if you abide in me, then I will abide in you. I find that verse, those verses, this mentions if several times in John 15, are really helpful, because being a fruitful Christian doesn't happen just because you're a Christian. Being a fruitful Christian happens because you choose to abide in the vine. That's why you can be a Christian and come to church every week, but not be fruitful. Do you want to be fruitful? I really want to be fruitful. Well, what's the answer then? Choosing to abide in the vine. Every day I say, I choose to abide in you. I'm to depend upon you. And Jesus says, just throws it in, kind of passing. By the way, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's quite motivating, really, isn't it? Okay, so apart from him, I can do nothing. Therefore, I think I need to depend upon him. How do I do that? Well, I abide in him. And every day of my life, I have a choice. Do I choose to abide in him or not? If I do, I'll be fruitful. If I don't, I'm just a branch hanging on the tree. I'm just lifeless. That's exactly the same with hope. If we live in him, then he will... I think that's why in Psalm 42, the psalmist says, Why, am I... why are you downcast, my soul? What is he saying? He says, soul. Get in line, choose today, praise him anyway. You know, whatever you're going through in life, you can make the choice, I am going to trust in God and going to praise him. And then you do that, you'll be flooded with him. There have been many times in my own life where I've had to live with this choice of whether I depend on myself and my own strength or whether I actually put my hope in him and find him to be the answer. So earlier this year, without going into the gory details, 
I got some lumps in my body. And I went to the doctor, and the doctor went, one of those moments when you visit a doctor and he goes, hmm, not happy about this. Oh, thanks. You know, I was feeling ill when I came here, and now I'm feeling 10 times worse. I think you better go straight away and get it checked out. So I go along, get scans and things. And it's on the NHS, so it kind of takes a long time to get the appointment, and then it takes a long time for the results to come back. What am I doing in this process? This is, this is reality of what this whole thing we're talking about is. Do I hope in God on a daily basis? Lord, I trust you, I trust you, I believe. Whatever the result, da, 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 I trust in you. And it's a battle. And the battle includes fear. And the battle includes turning in upon myself and feeling sorry for myself. And the battle thinks, what on earth is going on? So happy day after many weeks when I um, go back and find that the tests have come back. And the tests come back inconclusive. <laughs> Hallelujah. Liz and I get on a plane and go to Mozambique. So I still don't know what's going on inside. I have to go. We go on this whole trip, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, da-da-da. I'm preaching like this, da-da-da, not knowing whether I've got something really bad. It's an interesting experience to go through. Some of you will identify with this, how you respond to things that happen like that. Do you rely on yourself or do you put your trust in God? And I don't know, Liz will tell you how she felt I got on. I think, you know, sometimes it was 9 out of 10, sometimes 2 and a half. Anyway, so there are good days and bad days. It's the reality in which we live. The reality is I was learning on a daily basis. You'll be pleased to know the tests came back conclusive in a good way in the end. So we're getting on with our lives. Here's the second thing. We are a people of hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look what it says in verse 13. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So number one, I become a person flooded with hope because I live in God and trust in him because he is the God of hope. Number two, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Being a hopeful person or a person full of hope is not through self-effort. It's not going to happen by gritting your teeth and trying hard. It's not going to happen in your human resources. It is a work of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not an option in our lives. We need him for every area of our life as individuals. And this includes hope. I'm never going to become a person of hope through my own strength, but through the power of the Spirit. Why is this so important and such good news for a number of us in this room today? The answer is, hope is not dependent on your temperament or your personality. It's a work of the Spirit. And this is particularly good news for glum people in the room today, like me. So my tendency, I suppose people would say, half empty glass, half full glass. I'm a half empty glass kind of person. I'm the sort of person, rather melancholic. This is really making you want to be part of new ground, isn't it? Rather melancholic, who has that tendency just to kind of get a little bit heavy and dark about kind of things. I marry someone who is the total opposite to this. She is, naturally speaking, bright, always half full, always kind of going for it. And she has a problem. The problem is she marries me. And so immediately in our relationship, we've got this issue that she's wonderfully like that, and I'd love to be like that, and I'm like this, and she definitely doesn't want to be like this. She's bright. I would tend to be glum. It's part of... Me and whom I read the other day of this lady who was naturally bright, 
who's married to a kind of glum person, and the person said to her, do you wake up grumpy in the morning? She said, no, I let him sleep in. I mean, <laughs> that, it's just profoundly true. And so, so what's the answer then? Is it that Christian melancholics try really hard because we're desperate now to be real Christians who are always flooded by hope? And then you get it. This is the work of the Spirit. And your natural tendency is to be kind of a bit on the glum side. You can be transformed by being filled with the Spirit and filled with the Spirit. And guess what? It takes time, but gradually you begin to become a person flooded with hope. Now, I've got a little warning for you people here today who are of a natural happy disposition. Even you are going to run out of your natural resources because life won't let you stay like that. But isn't this good news? You don't look like you think it's good news, but can I just show you, it really is good news. The whole thing of being a person of hope is not dependent upon my natural personality, but it is dependent upon the power of the Spirit. All you and I have got to do is just keep dependent on the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, and there'll be transformation, that I can be someone who's half full and not half empty because of the mercy of God. Number three, we're getting there. We'll become a people of hope when we learn to know and live in the promises of God. Why do I have hope for you as an individual and for River Church for the rest of 2018 and the whole of 2019 and beyond? I have hope because of the promises of God that are true. And if they're true for anyone, they can be true for you as well. And this floods us with hope. Look at this, Romans chapter 4, verse 20. Four. Sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 24. For in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. Think about that. For who hopes for what he sees? I mean, you don't, do you? If you've got everything, you're not hoping for it. For if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hope implies you're hoping for something that you don't actually now experience or see. And what floods us with hope is if we had everything now straight away and everything was instant, there would be no need for hope. And we become a people of hope when we believe the promises that God has said that we do not see at the moment and we wait for them to come to pass. And we're waiting in the midst of hopelessness all around us. If you go out on the street, where's your high street? That way, that way, wherever. Anyway... If you go down where, where people hang out and you go around interview people and you say to them, Have you got, what, what are you hoping for this year? A lot of people, if they're really honest, don't have a lot of hope. What do you do every time Brexit comes up on the... You wish you'd turn over and... Work. Yeah, exactly. Someone would just be like, you just think, oh, not again. What does that indicate? Well, it indicates it's not that people are doing right or wrong. It's just that we're not really putting all our hope in some political solution. We're not putting our hope in this and that and everything else. The reality is this. We are living in a, a hopeless. People don't have hope anymore. We need to stand out because whilst we don't see all the things that we know we should see, we put our hope in the promises of God. And God is faithful and his promises are true. And we're not waiting, thinking, will it or won't it? It absolutely will come to pass. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, a lot of you will know this, simply says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
I can be flooded, we can be flooded with hope because there are things that are about to happen that are not happening right now. And again, it's not, our, it's not dependent on us running around. It's dependent on his faithfulness and what he will do. Number four, and the last thing, just get real practical as we come to a close. We need to learn how to overcome disappointments. And disappointments can quickly lead to discouragement. There are certain things in life for us as Christians that rob us of hope. Things happen to us and it drains our hope away. We actually, the Bible says, have an enemy who can't snatch us out of God's hand but can make us as ineffective as possible. He is the accuser of the brethren, which means we have an enemy who's, who's determined He's a thief and he's a liar and he's a robber and he is determined to rob you of hope. Why, as I travel around and meet lots of Christians and lots of Christians, I find lots of Christians' heads are down. I find lots of churches that once were really hoping this would happen, but now they've lost hope. Now, circumstantially, they could tell you why that's happened, but I think behind it, the Bible says we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. I think there are forces of work, we can't see them, they're invisible, to rob the church of hope. Because if the enemy can't destroy the church, but it can make us as ineffective as possible and rob us of hope, then we're not going to see or do very much. And so we have an enemy who wants to overwhelm us with disappointments and discouragement. There are other things that make you and me discouraged or disappointed. Delays. I think there's some people in this room today who, are, who have put their hope in something happening and it hasn't happened yet. And the longer the time goes on, the harder it is for you to have hope. Circumstances is an obvious example. When we're in circumstances that we don't like, we might pray something like this. Lord, if you'll just change my circumstances, then I'll put my hope in you. The whole point of this sermon is you and I learn to have hope in the midst of even very difficult circumstances. I'm sure if you're around long enough, you're surrounded by people, I am, who are going through the most horrendous times. You can't understand them. They're perplexing. We don't have an easy answer for them. But I watch some of them, and they're so flooded with hope. It's just an amazing experience to watch them going through this. Some of us get disappointed by people because they let us down. Some of us get disappointed by church. Just let that one simmer around for a little while. I thought this church was going to be like this. And then I got to know you. I thought, this, you know, I'm, I'm always saying to people, please, 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 we are not perfect. We will let you down. I can prophesy it. We will disappoint you. Do not put your hope, all your hope in this. Because some of us get so disappointed in church and whatever church experience we have, we just, we just get discouraged. And then, of course, we live. If this isn't... If this isn't hard enough, we live in a, in a culture here in the UK, which I think is fundamentally negative, very depressive, hard, cynical, consumerist. Everyone's living for themselves. And a little bit like a barbecue, when you're doing barbecue, and you no doubt you've done it all this summer because it's been glorious, you think, I will do this barbecue, but I won't smell of barbecue. It's almost an impossibility. And it's like that living in this society. You're living in a society where everything around you, if you're not careful, just gets into your clothing. It makes you to be something that you wish that you were not. 
Proverbs 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. That's so powerful, isn't it? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I know people like this. Even ended up physically sick, literally, because of a hope that they had put their hope in that didn't come to pass. They had such high hopes, and now they're so low and discouraged and about to give up. And that can be something that any of us can go through. I've got some good news for you. This is not God's will. (laughs) It really isn't. On the basis of all the things we've been looking at this morning that the Bible teaches about hope, he doesn't want you to live in disappointment. He doesn't want you to live there, in that place. He actually wants some of us who maybe, honestly this morning, do feel we're discouraged. There has to come a point where you draw a line and you say, Lord, I am stepping out and I'm putting my hope in the God of hope. I'm going to be filled with the Spirit and know your hope in my life. I'm going to trust in your promises because you are the God of hope and you want me to abound in hope. And it's so vital that that we become a people who overcome, even if it takes some of us time, our disappointments to trust in God once. It's, It's a funny thing, you know, if I could lay hands on you today and cast out disappointment, that would be wonderful. And Most of us would come to the front for that one. But the reality is, it doesn't work like that. But internally, you need to learn how to engage with God through the power of the Spirit in your own life, not someone else doing it for you, so that internally, you are overcoming those disappointments. I just found this, I was looking at this this week, I just found this other psalm, uh, proverb rather, Proverbs 23, our last verse, verse 18. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. It's a fantastic statement. Surely there's a future. Do you know there is? The best is yet to come. God has got things in store for you. God has got a plan and a purpose for your life. God has got better things for River Church than you've ever experienced so far up until now. The best is always yet to come. So when I am mingling around with people who are very discouraged, I say things to them like this. Keep reminding yourself of truth. What does God say about your circumstance? And let the truth set you free. I say to people, keep renewing your mind. Often discouragement, depression comes into the mind. Start to think God's thoughts and discouragements begin to go. I say thirdly to people, hang out with the right kind of people. Sometimes we're hanging out with the wrong... I mean, if I hadn't married Liz and I just married someone as glum as me and hung out with glum people all the time. I think that had a real repercussion on my life. When we first got married, I used to hang out with a group of Christians a lot that actually were not good for me. It sounds sad to say that. They were very cynical, very negative, and when I got into conversation, I became like them. Do you know, I, I, the only way I could change was to not hang out with those people anymore and go and hang out with people that were an encouragement full of hope, so that my life could become more and more like that. It's interesting, Galatians, Paul says to the Galatians, you were running so well, who cut in on you? Not what, who. You were doing great, and then you started running with a whole bunch of people that actually drew you back. Who you run with in this race is really important. I trust you'll find people that will be a massive help and encouragement to you. Hang out with those kind of people. I say to people who are full of discouragement, 
Try and find more fun in your life. I mean, I don't know how to be more spiritual than that. Some of, some of us just don't... Do we just take ourselves far too seriously? We don't. We don't take you seriously. And the bad news for you is God doesn't take you nearly as seriously as you take yourself. Some people just need to wake up and think, you know what? I just need to do some things, add encouragement to my life by the things that I do. I think when Jesus said to Martha, 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 you're worried about an awful lot, he was trying to say, lighten up. Just come to the party. You know, just... Just be a person that God has made you to be. And the final thing I say to people is this, always, we have a future. We always have a future, no matter how long we're waiting, how we're hanging on in there, keep on hanging in, because God has a future for your life and for mine. Let me close by reading once again Romans 15, verse 13. And may this be your experience as an individual and River Church's experience in this coming term. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Can we stand together, please?